it is a lot easier to get any human being to buy into a process if they understand the purpose of it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined today by my partner, Joe Favorito. Joe, we haven't done a show together in a couple of weeks. How are you doing? Yeah, the last time we did this, Tom, Aaron Rodgers was still in the good graces of the Green Bay Packers <laughs> and most of the world. Wow. Yeah. Boy, that's been a story I don't think most of us were expecting uh, the last couple of weeks. It's really it's incredible how much uh, oxygen it's taken up in the news cycle for sports over the last 10 or 12 days, huh? Yeah, quite quite the story. And and is uh, people will be listening to this after Sunday's game, but if Aaron Rodgers is back playing on Sunday and the Packers win, I'm sure most of Packer Nation will have forgotten and will have moved on, unlike, oh. the, unlike the Brooklyn Nets who have moved on without Kyrie Irving, who's now a footprint to history. Wow. So, so what's the deal with that? Is, is he doing any of the games in the States that allow it? No, can't play yeah, anywhere. Right. So he actually so no, he has hasn't, he has, to be clear, he hasn't played yet this season. Hasn't played or practiced. Right. Wow. It's so. a crazy story, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, Joe, I know there were a couple of conferences in the last couple of weeks. Anything you'd want to uh, report about? Because I know you, you were keeping up um, with that. I haven't been to any. I've been, uh, did a little traveling, which is why I didn't do the last one. It was at... Uh, witnessed the number one football team in the nation play last Sunday at the University of Georgia. It was interesting being down there for that and what uh, Bulldog Nation is all about. Yeah. Um, I've been following some of the conferences from a distance, but, you know, Tom, I think you and I have talked about this. I think we're all kind of zoomed out at this point. And mm -hmm. yeah. um, everyone is looking forward to being more in person when we get back into 2021, hopefully. Um, but uh yeah, we're kind of uh, moving on. The one thing that we should note is congratulations to our friends at FC Bayern Munich. They um, launched their, uh, or they premiered their Amazon show um, in New York on, on Wednesday night, and it will be coming out in a couple of weeks. So uh, Rudy Vidal and, and the entire crew there, congratulations. They've obviously been a big part of our program for quite some time. Yeah, with some good participation from the Columbia gang. So uh, yep. including our old, our old friend, Richie O'Reilly. Yep. Um, Joe, what's interesting on that, and I just literally made this observation last night. I was on Amazon Prime just checking out new stuff that they put up. Have you noticed? I assume you're a subscriber. Yes. Isn't it crazy how much sports content is on Amazon Prime Video and, right now? And it's continuing to grow. That's what I mean. It's like every time, every time you go in there and look at the offerings, there's just more sports content. So the work of Marie Donahue and others yeah. uh, in that department on, in the sports area is, is really evident. And it's really interesting to think where it's gonna go. As I pointed out to my wife, while we were looking right around the beginning of the, uh, of the football game last night, I'd forgotten that in that environment, I would see, guess what? Prominently featured live right now, NFL game. So it was the uh, Dolphins against the Ravens, and I clicked on it because I don't because I have pay TV, so I don't really use Amazon Prime on Thursday nights. And there it is, looking good. It was the broadcast, and I said to my wife, "Okay, well, a year from now, if I or we want to watch Thursday night football, this will be the only option. That's the new future." Yes. So That's anyway, I really hadn't thought about that last night, but yeah. they're doing and, a good job the, in sports. You know what? The, the interesting thing is nobody notices it. It's just become 
you know, Amazon sports on Amazon. Oh, that's called Wednesday night, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and it used to be kind of the obscure or at least the niche, like the AVP. Now it's pick a league and there's a partnership with Amazon that's going to continue to grow. Yeah. So. And even another one I'll just mention quickly is the show that Apple introduced recently called Swagger, uh, which Kevin that. Durant was involved with loosely based on his history as a young, highly talented, highly recruited player in AAU. Mm -hmm. Uh, very entertaining series. I'm about four episodes in, but it's fun to see how the big streaming services are working their way into our world of sports. So anyway, here. let's move on to the main part of the show. We've got a really interesting guest today on a really interesting topic. So some of you know that our Black Students Union at uh, Columbia just hosted a panel about Black uh, soccer initiatives in America. And it was a really good panel. Joe, I know you attended, as yep. did I. Really enjoyed it. And by the way, if anybody's listening to this podcast, just a reminder, it was just posted. Go back one. Yeah, go back one. You can actually listen to the panel, which was recorded. Great job by our student, Aladu Salifu, uh, hosting that. Uh, so uh, well done on his part. But anyway, related to that uh, is a an initiative that many people in the world of soccer seem to know about. It's been around for 22 years. It's called Right to Dream. And it started with an academy that was built in Ghana in 1999 by a former Man U scout, I believe, Tom Vernon. And it has developed quite dramatically over the last 22 years. And the business is now uh, among other things, it's now in Egypt, it's now in Denmark, and I think a year or two ago, it was acquired by a huge conglomerate in Egypt called the Mansour Group. Really mm -hmm. interesting stuff. So they're, they're, on, they're making moves, they're doing academies, they're now involved with actual ownership of professional franchises, they're involved in the education side of all this. Um, and Right to Dream is a really interesting business story and kind of a social story in many ways. And today we're lucky to be joined by the managing director of Right to Dream in Ghana, Eddie Mensa. Eddie, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you for having me. I heard your comments about um, Aaron Rodgers. So I just want to point out I'm fully vaccinated. <laughs> Good. So we're allowed, we're allowed. He's not immunized. He's vaccinated. We just want yeah, to make sure. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for using all the right. proper terminology. <laughs> make us all comfortable. Um, Eddie, it's really good to have you. And there's a lot we want to talk about with you. Let's start out with your uh, story. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our audience, even those who know Right to Dream, may not know you because you're relatively new to Right to Dream. But you got a really interesting background that started in education, spent many years in education. So yeah. give us a little uh, highlight of your journey uh, getting to this point. Sure. Sure. I don't want to take up the whole show to talk about just me. So I'll do it really quickly. Uh, I was born in Ghana, raised about an hour away from where I am now. Um, when I was 16, um, I got a scholarship to go to an international school at UWC in Canada. Uh, so I finished my high school career in Canada. I did um, 11th and 12th grade in Canada. And then I went to, to the U.S. I went to Franklin and Marshall in Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Pennsylvania for, for college, um, and then went to Penn afterwards. So I don't know if I'm allowed to be on a Columbia uh, <laughs> podcast. Yeah. You get special <laughs> exemption. Penn alum. Right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so, but, you know, growing up, football, soccer uh, was my life. Uh, so I was always looking for opportunities to play. 
I really thought when I was a kid I was going to be a professional soccer player. Um, obviously, that didn't turn out. But I played in college. Um, and then after college, while I was teaching, I was teaching at, at a small Quaker school um, right outside Philadelphia called Abington Friends. It was small at the time. Mm -hmm. It's much bigger now. Um, and and then I was also trying to play a little D3. So I played in the USL for the Delaware Wizards for a little while. Uh, but education was really sort of my my calling, I believe. So I taught for about five or six years in independent schools. Um, and then I went to join the nonprofit world. So I was with a, a program in Philadelphia called the Stepping Stone Scholars Program, which actually started out in Boston. Um, Stepping Stone is a little bit like a better chance. So we, we worked at the time with very low income students from all parts of, of um, urban Philadelphia um, to find better educational opportunities for them, track them from fourth grade all the way through college. So we did that, did that for about 13, 14, 15 years, um, and then went back into sort of a, a traditional educational system. So I was the head of middle school at Charlotte Prep in North Carolina for a few years, and then eventually I was the head of school there for about four years. Um, and then uh, Right to Dream came along. And Right to Dream came along because one of the students I worked with in Stepping Stone went to the Kate School in California. And he met Ima Boating, who was at the time um, Gatorade Player of the Year in America. And Ima Boating came from Right to Dream. And Right to Dream is located an hour from where my mother lives. So I came to visit. I met Tom Vernon, you know, conversations started. We stayed in touch for a long time. And around 2018 or 19, he texted me and said, you know, you've been hinting about wanting to come back home. It's time. Um, so it was a little uh, poetic circle about it that I left Ghana for the first time in 1990. Um, and then almost the exact 20, uh, 30 years later, in 2020, I returned uh, to come back and be the, the managing director of this amazing, amazing enterprise. So mm -hmm. that's that's a little bit of my story. Cool. So, Eddie, take us through what you're doing in Ghana with Right to Dream. How does the education fit into the football side? Um, Excellent. And, and what is that all like? Excellent question. So I'll give you the elevator pitch, right? Right to Dream Ghana has three legs of the stool. We focus on football. Uh, I'll have to keep reminding myself to say soccer. Uh, <laughs> I can go back and forth between those two words. Um, and then we have an academic program. And so the kids are enrolled in the Cambridge um, IGCSE um, curriculum. And then we have a very strong character and purpose program. Um, so we believe those three legs um, of the stool uh, come together to make a full a full um, athlete, a full student athlete. Um, but within that system, there are pathways. So everybody gets um, recruited, selected to come to Ride to Dream, both on the academic basis and the, and the soccer basis. But once you're in the system, um, students um, within a combination of their own choice plus um, what the organization and ecosystem encourages them to do can take different pathways. So those who are um, academically inclined, but also strong soccer players might end up in high schools in America, going to universities. Um, and then those who are, you know, very heavily um, soccer oriented might look for professional 
careers in, in, in Europe. Uh, but connecting those two arms, the football and the and the academic pathway is the, the strong character program, which is one of the things that really attracted me to, to the idea um, that for an enterprise like this to really work, you want um, students to have a, a really good sense of, of their purpose, but also really develop these, these uh, we call them soft skills, where they're not really soft, right? Um, these, these elements of integrity and grit and hard work um, and all of those things that uh, will make them better students and better soccer players. So that's that's what happens on campus. Literally, you wake up in the morning, you play, then you go to school, uh, have lunch, have a couple of classes after school, study all in the evening. Uh, you might have a little training session or some analysis. But your typical day involves training and school. Eddie, one of the things that struck me in doing a little research before our chat today was the fact that Right to Dream has published a manifesto. It's on the website. Mm. I was reading about yes. it. And I, yes. I really, I, I thought that was great because it it's an eight point manifesto and, and just the headlines of those eight points, by the way, are excellence can be found anywhere. Look beyond the obvious, work obvious. with purpose, rock the boat. Mm -hmm. I like that one. Yep. Expand the dream. Football is a story of humanity, thriving yeah. in all areas, all areas. respecting yeah. football's soul. Yes. Can you talk about that? Because I'm, I'm sure you were well aware of it um, before joining, as you were thinking about joining it. And yeah. then, now that you're representing and working for the company, I'm sure you have to live that manifesto, so to speak. Talk, yeah. talk yeah. about kind of the inspiration for that, that, that you're aware of. That's that's a great question so i think at the end of the manifesto it says something like if everything falls away these eight pillars as is what would be left this is what we're built on right and so for me as i was a little i was a little involved in the process of kind of fine-tuning uh, the manifesto points for me the manifesto um serves two purposes one is it is a reflection of right to dreams journey up to this point um, because one of the ways that Right to Dream um, thrived and grew was that it looked for excellence in places that nobody would look for excellence, right? We have players um, and students that come from some of the poorest neighborhoods uh, within the country. We've scoured all parts of the country to get that. Um, it looked beyond the obvious, right? The obvious story in Ghana is that if you play soccer, you don't go to school. Uh, if you go to school, you don't play soccer. Right? It's a clear, at least in, in, the, in our cultural context when I was growing up, those who played soccer were the ones who were not good at school. Um, so to look beyond the obvious story to say, um, listen, it, it is possible to combine these two, not necessarily in equal measure, um, but to have them complement each other um, is key. Um, and then it, it really rocked the boat because what Right to Dream was trying to do here is different from what anybody else was trying to do in Ghana. Um, a full scholarship um, opportunity, um, trying to combine the idea of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, profit and purpose, right? Uh, we're trying to, to develop the program in a way that um, you are balancing the idea of an actual, you know, philanthropic approach, but to also a business model that would make sense. So that's kind of rocking the boat. So I think the manifesto does that of describing Right to Dream's journey, but then it's also aspirational, 
in terms of higher where we want to get to our vision. So when we say that we want to look for excellence everywhere, we've done that now, but we want to continue to do that. How do we develop our women and girls program in a way that's different from other people are doing? How do we rock the boat um, in terms of how um, folks look at philanthropy versus business or profit versus purpose? Uh, so the manifesto, um, while it's a good reflection of our history, it's also a really good um, guiding lights, uh, sort of a, a shining um, light in the distance to, to keep us focused um, and, and keep us aspirational. Um, along with those aspirations, can you give our listeners a little bit of a, a snapshot into sport on the African continent now and, and how mm. Right to Dream ties to that? Because, you know, we've now seen, even during the pandemic, the launch of NBA Africa, you know, the continued growth of a lot of the national teams across the board, obviously tremendous success in certain areas around the Olympics. Um, how does Right to Dream kind of fit into that that landscape? And what what is the landscape now? Because I don't think a lot of people realize the advances in, in sport and even in academics that are happening, you know, across the African continent right now. That's a great question. So, you know, if I compare it to when I was growing up, right? Um, and what where sports landed in the landscape in terms of priorities or importance, um, it's changed dramatically. It's changed, uh, maybe dramatically is the wrong word because it was a slow, pro sort of a slow process. Um, so if you haven't been to Ghana in 20 years, uh, my friends who moved to America with me back then are shocked, those who haven't come back often, to see the kind of improvements in the infrastructure, the kind of improvements in the philosophy, um, the, the stronger place that it's taken in the cultural landscape, right? And so that's why um, soccer, which, you know, in those days, at least when I was growing up, was sort of the side thing that we do to entertain ourselves, has become a much stronger um, cultural, uh, social, economic force, right? And, so, and then you start to see it in other sports. So those sports that we wouldn't have thought about before, because when I was growing up, again, you're thinking soccer, boxing, track, that's about it, right? And mm -hmm. uh, folks are beginning to think about NFL is, is looking to try and recruit, um, you know, big, strong players from the continent because, you know, there's quite a strong representation in the NFL right now. And so there's, there, there's that movement as well. But people are beginning to see um, the possibility and the power of sports on the continent to change the trajectory of lives, right? Um, but we also believe, at least our right to dream, that a strong academic and educational background is a good complement for that. Because historically, for athletes or, or players who have focused only on the sport, their post-sports careers have not been great. Uh, and so the, the shift in the thinking now is, as much as we want to cultivate and develop players and athletes, we need to make sure that they have enough of, um, of a tool bag that post, post their playing careers, they can have uh, lives that are, are good examples for others to follow. So it's growing tremendously. It's really nice to see. Um, you know, I turn on the TV now and I can watch NBA Africa. I can watch tennis. I can watch, I mean, soccer obviously does not lose its spot as the number one sport continent, but there are, there was a women's champions league 
that started. There are eight countries that are playing in Egypt right now. Um, Ghana has a team represented there. That that wouldn't have that never happened 10, 20 years ago. Right. Um, so that kind of uh, increased prominence for, for sport, I think is is quite it's quite impressive. I don't know if I answered your question directly. No, that that, that helps. Um, and then yeah. back back to write the dream. How does the funding work? Uh, how do you find, you know, you talked about kind of scouring all the places around uh, and, and finding them, but but how, walk us through the business model. What does the business model look like? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think it started sort of on a charitable mode, right? You know, it's the typical philanthropic nonprofit fundraise, donations, um, get, you know, some really good supporters. Um, financially over time. Um, so that model, as as um, as good as it is, sometimes it's not the most sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, over time, as the as the program grew, there were um, periods where, um, and I hate that phrase, but player sales, right? So in America, we talk about trading, but in, in the European football, player sales um, became another good source um, of, of funding to support the program. And then at one point, Right to Dream had a good um, partnership with a couple of European teams. So Manchester City had a, a partnership with Right to Dream um, that in which they invested and supported the program. Um, but the current model is because the Mansour group um, basically um, invested heavily in it. And the group also owns a pro team in Denmark. All right, and so the the academy in Ghana is funded from the profits of, of the pro team in Denmark, but the whole system is that not for dividends, and so none of the investors are taking um, dividends out at the end of the at the end of the, the business cycle. Right, all the all of the proceeds are recycled back into uh, into the system, um, and Right to Dream is also a member of Goal Program as a, as an organization. Um, to, to keep that balance between the philanthropic and the business model, right? So you, you, you want a business model that's able to, to sustain itself without quote, unquote, begging for money. Um, but at the same time, we believe in the power of giving opportunity to, to, to folks who wouldn't otherwise have it. So the goal is not to, to, to line some investors' pockets. Right. So related to that, as you think about expansion, what is the process of exporting this program to new countries? Yeah. So, you know, just if you think about the way I just talked about the business model, right? Um, expansion will require a careful look at a sustainable funding model, right? Um, is you have to really look at whether, you know, player sales from whatever academy you're planning to set up is going to be enough of an income generator to, to support the program. Uh, sustainable over the long term, um, and then start to think about what are the what are the other possibilities from income generation. And so recently, folks have been talking a lot about you know content. It's funny that you were talking about Amazon, right? Um, but content generation is now becoming sort of a really um, marketable way of of attracting uh, purpose driven sponsors and partnerships. Um, and so that that. You, you have to be really tactful and careful about expansion, right? And so that's why we're starting with Egypt. Uh, the Mansours are based in Egypt, uh, and so it makes sense. Uh, so there's a strong market for talent there, um, and we have a model that can sustain that. Um, 
And if you decide to go beyond that, you have to be really um, circumspect and tactful about how you do that, making sure that the, the financial model makes sense going forward. And, and what are the implications in that regard for the U.S. and the expansion in the U.S. market? Ha. Well, <laughs> the U.S. has, I mean, it's a, it's a fertile ground for, to be a destination for talent, right? So I, talk, I was talking to Tom recently, and I was saying that if we develop or expand, if we want to expand a number of, of um, opportunities that we give for students who would not otherwise have, because that's, that's at the base of all of this, right? Poor kid, super talented, hardworking, all they need is somebody to open the door for them. So if we want to open more doors, the US in my mind is an excellent destination. You have 50 billion universities and high schools who would be thrilled to have the kind of talent that we have uh, to, to, to offer. Right. Um, so, um, and then when it comes to um, uh, monetizing anything, there's no country in the world <laughs> that does it better <laughs> than America. Right. So it, it's really a careful, it's really a matter of carefully deciding how you do it. Uh, but I think the U.S. is a really fertile ground. I mean, again, when I when I got to America in 1992, um, people kept saying soccer is never going to be big. Right. It's, you know, you watch it on TSN and and so don't do it. But the U.S. is big enough to accommodate MLS, NFL, NBA, Right to Dream. Um, can you give us some of the numbers? Like how many how many students does Right to Dream have now in the States and elsewhere um, in school now? And how many have come through the program since it started? Yeah, we are currently on campus. We have about 115 um boys and girls our girls program is not as big as a as the as a boys program we have about 19 girls um and within within the united states i think currently maybe about 40 to 50 between high schools and colleges or maybe 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 i'm exaggerating the number a little bit but around 30 to 40 um that have come through the program over the years um and we have some that are playing in major league soccer right now uh, there are some that are in universities. We have, you know, I can think of humans of Michigan, Duke, South Carolina, um, Villanova. Um, and then we have a network of New England um, high schools, boarding schools that take a bunch of our students. So we had 13 students go this past fall uh, to, to a bunch of different high schools. So between the high school uh, students and the college kids, I'd say about 30, 30 to 40. All right. So, so let's talk about your job. Like what, what yes. exactly are you doing day in and day out? And also <laughs> what do you do? Tell us what you do. I don't do anything. Right. He goes <laughs> I on, got a, podcast I got a podcast. And he talks about the manifesto. Um, no. And related to that is, um, are you able to use your fairly significant educational experience as a teacher and administrator in what you're doing? That was the second part of the question. Yes, yes. So, um, I mean, I'm responsible for all the day-to-day -day activities, right? Um, but my my job, as I see it, is to be the custodian of the manifesto, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the the themes of the manifesto is for for our students to see that we don't make a separation between football, academics, and your character. Uh, but practically speaking, we have a football department right, with coaches. And then we have a school 
with the head of school and teachers. Um, and then we have our character and purpose departments with the head and staff, right? And so if, if we allow the machine to flow in the way that I just described it, you find silos. Um, and so my primary job, I see it as holding those three pillars together um, in a way that puts the student in the center and allows them to develop all of those skills at whatever pace they need to up until the time where a decision has to be made one way or the other, right? So in the day-to-day, um, I'm being a presence on the football side, which I love. I'm a soccer fan. I love to go and watch people play. Um, but, you know, one of the things I've been able to do in the, the first year here is really look at our academic program and help to refine it in a way that helps us look at the different levels of education and academics that the kids come to the table with. So when we recruit 10, 10 year olds, some of them have never been in a classroom, right? Even though they're cognitively able, they're just their backgrounds that they've come from. And some of them have had a little bit of um, academic background. So I'm able to help kind of sort out, you know, how do we differentiate the instruction in a way that makes sense. We have a few kids from uh, Francophone countries. We have a few kids from Ivory Coast. How do we help them with their transition in the ESL type of uh, program? Um, and so I'm using, I'm using my academic background, my educational program almost every day. Um, I get to sit in classrooms and watch how students learn. Um, and I get, to, I get to help coaches and teachers see how similar they are. It's one of the things that has been fun for me is for a coach and a teacher to see how similar they are because stereotypically they don't see themselves as, as the same at all. Uh, and so part of my job is kind of to, to, to do that connection. Um, it involves a lot of meetings. <laughs> and then of course there's the, all the administrative stuff uh, that you have to do. But in terms of vision, is to continue to, to cultivate that idea that the whole child, the whole student should really understand how to develop each part of this talent that they bring to the table until they have to choose. All right, Eddie uh, and Joe, I wanna go back to the third pillar that Eddie mentioned, mm. if I got if I got this right, you called it the character and purpose department. Yes, which is a phrase I've never heard. Ha! Uh -huh. What does that department do? Who leads it? Uh, what is what is that agenda about? Because it sounds very almost Orwellian. The character oh. and purpose department. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Maybe it's, uh, it evolved from an Orwellian thing into what it is now. Um, so um, at, the, at the infancy of the program, right? You're, if, you think about, if you think about charter schools in America, right? A lot of charter schools that go into low-income areas start to think about structures that they need to put into place, discipline, focus, uniformity to help kids build these, some habits that we believe are important for education, right? Um, so if you think about Right to Dream, where we're getting kids from some of the poorest neighborhoods in, in Ghana, um, some of them come from very unstructured families, both parents are working, both parents, or one parent is not home. Um, when they come here, um, they're learning how to use cutlery for the first time, they're learning what bedtime is really about, chores, right? Things that are completely in their mind unrelated to football or academics. Um, you you need to build because it's a boarding school and you're taking some of this child at 10 
and they go home for three months out of the year. So you have them for nine months out of the year, you're raising that child, right? So you have to think about what kinds of values you're trying to, uh, to instill. And so at the infancy of the program, there was a lot of conversation about what are these um, character traits? What are these values that we think are important for kids to have? Social intelligence, um, respect, integrity, uh, hard work, right? So how do you, how do you quote unquote teach the kids these values? And so it was called a character program at that time, right? Mm -hmm. In the last two or three years, uh, we started to think about um, the word purpose came into fashion. And one of the, the ideas behind the word purpose is that it is a lot easier to get any human being to buy into a process if they understand the purpose of it. Um, it's a lot easier for the boys and girls to understand what it is that we're trying to do, why we think um, hard work is important, or how we think integrity is important, if they understand the purpose of it. Um, and part of it is for them to understand their own individual purpose, right? Why are you doing this? Is it purely to get your, your family out of poverty? Is it purely the passion for the sport? Is it, is it something else? Um, and so our idea was that if we start to talk a lot more about helping them um, develop a sense of themselves, then their character becomes an output of the program as opposed to us teaching character as we used to, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why the name changed from character and purpose, right? So that now um, our goal is to help you develop your character rather than us teach you what we think is the right character. So do you have people that are trained in counseling and things like that or uh, psychology or something? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Pippa Grange. So she's a, she's a super nerd psychologist uh, who worked with the football teams in, Aust uh, in Australia, worked with the England national team. Um, so she heads our global uh, character and purpose department. And she, she helps us to develop the curriculum um, and train the folks in her department to help execute that here. Uh, but you also need... Um, I find, at least in Ghana, not just an understanding of the psychology, but also a bit of a cultural understanding, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so we find that for, for our purposes, it's good for folks who speak the language, who know the neighborhoods, who know the kids. Um, so the current head of our character and purpose department is a former Right to Dream student. Right? Um, his name is um, King, King John. He went to the Dunn School in California, he played in Europe for, for quite a long time. He played for our national team, um, spent a lot of time with Pippa, um, and out of his retirement is, is helping to deliver that curriculum here. Uh, so he brings not only his own experience, um, but that sort of a cultural understanding of where the kids are coming from, which gives him some credibility um, to help this, this idea. Uh, but it, it's something that I wouldn't say it's fully baked for us, right? I wouldn't say that we are the experts in this in this area. And I think that's one of the features of Right to Dream that attracted me, that in all of these three areas, Right to Dream never walks like it's the, it has the monopoly on the wisdom. We're always looking to improve. Um, so the fact that we went from calling it a character program to a character purpose program to continue looking at how we evolve it, 
Um, those students who were here 10 years ago would have told you that we were trying to teach them character. Uh, these current ones, we hope when they leave, will say they helped me to develop a sense of myself. And out of that, my character uh, became clear. Well, that's really interesting. And you know, yeah. good job by you guys to evolve that because it really yeah. makes sense. Um, and Joe, now I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be in charge of a character and purpose department. <laughs> and maybe you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. Really, you can take character, I'll take purpose, and we can, we can have a consulting company. Hey, um, How's that? Uh, Eddie, one more question before we get to our, our final two questions, at least for me. Um, yeah. The growth of, of girls' sports and women's sports, how important is that? And, and how has it grown in the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, so because I spent so much time in America and I used to actually coach girls teams, I've always had an affinity for, for girls sports. Um, and, you know, culturally speaking, traditionally speaking, girls were um, discouraged. Uh, I don't mean not encouraged. I mean discouraged. Right. Mm -hmm. They were actively told not to play. Um, so if you meet any of the early right to do um, female players that came through, they'll tell you that they played on boys teams. Um, probably much to the, the chagrin of their parents or community and families. Um, but it's slowly beginning to change. It's a very gradual change. And the last few years, it's slowly beginning to change because we're beginning to see examples that we can point to. So we have a few girls. We have one girl at Bates right now uh, who's doing very, very well. We have a few girls that are playing in high schools. So we have one other student at uh, JMU that's playing really well. Mm -hmm. Oh, Ben Luth, right? So they're they're beginning to see. And then on the continent itself, we're beginning to see that sports is a possibility uh, for, for women to get sort of the social and sometimes economic empowerment that they need. Um, so it's beginning to grow slowly and right to dream. We, we, we hope to participate in that. And that's why we have the only, as far as I know, residential growth program on the continent. Um, but, you know, I know folks who are also trying to grow the game. Uh, like I said, I watched on TV for the first time a Women's Champions League on African soil. That's never happened. Um, so the, the, the growth is not as fast as some of us would like. Um, you know, I was in America and I, I know how much, how much I enjoy watching women, women's soccer. Um, and, and the talent is, is available here in Ghana. And so there's a bit of a a cultural and social mind shift that has to happen. That's beginning to happen slowly. Great. Tom, you want to uh, wrap us up with our final two ubiquitous questions? Yeah. I guess? And, and we didn't give Eddie warning. I just realized that, Joe. He, he's yeah, going okay. uh, to be on the spot here. Eddie, we ask, all of our guests, we, we ask all of our guests two questions. Favorite okay. ice cream. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the first is, how do you keep up? How do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you doing to, to be good at your job intellectually? And the second is, can you please offer some career advice? I'm sure that, that one will be easy for you, especially to young people that are developing their careers. Uh, uh, um, what do I do? I like reading. I like listening to podcasts. Um, I think the most recent book that I, comes strongly to mind is Brene Brown's book. Um, um, basically on leadership and how to step uh, in, in, into into be, into a vulnerable space. Um, so, and I've read, I mentioned Pippa Grange, our, our resident um, psychologist, and her book is titled Fearless. Um, and it really talks a lot about um, 
the, the different, deeper kind of courage that it takes to step into your purpose, right? To live um, a life that you, you, can, um, you can be proud of. And for our students, I feel like that is so crucial because if we're not careful, we allow them to stick to a very narrow um, motivational tool, which is get out of poverty. Um, and if we, in my mind, because I came out of poverty, uh, I grew up very poor. And I think if you have that narrow motivational tool, it feels empty if you, at the time when you arrive at a place of economic comfort, right? And so there has to be a deeper, there has to be multiple reasons in my mind, or multiple motivations for, for, for doing the kind of work that you're trying to do to uplift yourself from one stage of life to the other. Um, so I, I think that's, that's how I try to, to, to think of the work that I do. Um, the other part is that for me, I have this really deep, and if Thomas is going to listen to this podcast, he's going to wonder why it took me too long to say this word. But I have this really deep-seated need for justice. Um, so I feel like all this thing that we're doing is really trying to bring some justice into the world, right? It's just, for me, unfair that there are folks who work really, really hard and don't have the opportunity. And I don't think that we are ever going to solve it, but it's a, such a noble cause to change, to chase this, you know, impossible cause of how do we make the world a little bit more fair? And if we do that by providing opportunity for some folks who wouldn't otherwise have it, then we're on our way. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think the last question was about career advice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Make the money first, and then no, I'm joking. Well, it's funny. I, the advice that I joke around with people is marry rich. That always helps. Right, and then you can do everything you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, and I haven't thought about this recently, so I'm just coming up with this on the spot. That my advice to anybody is to wrestle with profit and purpose. Wow, I like. I just, I'm just thinking about it right now. Right, mm -hmm. just just wrestle with the idea of can I write profit as in how do I get myself uh, materially comfortable, luxury, whatever your, your needs are, um, but wrestle with the idea of profit and purpose. Mm -hmm. um, if you do that, then you, it doesn't matter if you're an investment banker or if you're a head of a nonprofit. Um, you can still wrestle with this idea in which you figure out how you can make a difference. Wrestling with profit and purpose. I got to write that one. No, that's really good. Yeah. yeah it is really Even good. related to the other part of the discussion about the, the character and purpose department, which I think mm -hmm. just is really an impressive approach, is yeah. actually using that same philosophy and thinking about career. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I don't think most people do. I think most people mm -hmm. think about kind of what uh, more superficial stuff, as you said, you call the profit, right. but yeah. you know, a specific company you want to work for, something like that. But to the extent any of us at any age can find some purpose, even if it's a little bit better than not having purpose. And mm -hmm. um, it, it's an interesting lens to put a career discussion through. Cause Joe, I don't, th I think that's the first time the word purpose has come up in talking yeah. about, about hundreds of conversations about, about career advice. And things Cer like certainly profit has come up before. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's for sure. Anyway. That's uh, really, that's really good, Eddie. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you. Uh, really, really interesting way to frame it. Um, Joe, any final thoughts or questions? 
our last question is the obvious one. Eddie, where, where can people find out more um, about Right to Dream? Where could they go? And then yeah. uh, people are looking to find out more about the Eddie Mensa story. Where do they go? Oh, don't worry about the Eddie Mensa story, but look for the- <laughs> well, That's on Amazon, Joe. I saw it last right. night on, on the, yeah, the line. Exactly. <laughs> right after NFL football. So. <laughs> right. Um, um, is a website, um, but our YouTube page um, and Instagram page are probably the place that you see some of the most more the most recent stuff. That's great. Um, and so what we're trying to do. Yeah. Cool. Wow. wow. Well done. Once again, Tom, the story core that we continue to create is really yeah. amazing. We learn. We learn more than than probably more than the people who are listening sometimes. But yeah. Um, yeah no. Thank you, Eddie. That was a great story. And your story is, is uh, very inspirational. So thanks for sharing it. And the Right to Dream program, wonderful uh, endeavor. So I hope it continues to grow. Um, Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And I urge everybody to check it out one way or another. And I have a feeling we'll be hearing more about it as soccer expands in the U.S. And We'll, we'll see these star players and everybody will say, wait, that guy's from Ghana? Like, how did that happen? And then we can say, that right. was Eddie. <laughs> so, right. uh, really good stuff. Um, so one last thank you on behalf of Columbia. Thanks to our producers, including uh, Ben and Yash and Sam. We appreciate your help today. Joe, a new breed, always uh, a pleasure. A new breed coming in. A new breed of podcast producers. Yeah, and by the way, a little preview of something that's going to be coming up sometime in the next few weeks, Joe. Our two uh, longtime producers for the last year, Ben and Taylor, will be graduating from the program in December. Don't do it. It's a big story. <laughs> and uh, we're going to actually interview them. Yeah. And I think we'll do that maybe at the end of November, I guess, yeah. Joe. I guess we can yeah. finalize the day, but that'll be fun. I urge everybody to listen. Uh, and finally, I'll say to everybody, we've said it before. I'll say it again. If you have any thoughts, or recommendations about shows, guests, topics, etc. Well, we're all ears. You can find me and Joe on Twitter, of course, and you can reach out to us uh, on LinkedIn always. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll see everybody in the next episode.